You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Illustrated, Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality, and Christian Miller, a national championship winning linebacker at Alabama who was drafted by the Carolina Panthers. Here's Lars, Matt, and Christian. We've been in the playoffs, I think, since 2010. This may be the second time we haven't been in the playoffs. I may be off a game or two by that. So it sort of becomes the standard that is the goal of everybody in the organization and everybody in the program to actually have an opportunity to play in the playoffs. And how do you sort of change that mindset to create value for yourself and your team and your teammates by getting motivated to play against what's always going to really be a really good team when you play in the Sugar Bowl and go out and play winning football. And I like the attitude that this team has had up to this point, and hopefully we can continue to you know, build on that and have positive momentum going into the game and go out and play a good game and uh, execute well. But I think everybody has to respect who you're playing and what it's going to take to be able to do that. Welcome, welcome in to Big Noon Sports. And I'm getting some major audio feedback, but hey, we're going to have that uh, on the holidays. Hope everybody is uh, doing wonderful today. Beautiful afternoon here in uh, central Alabama. And, uh, I'll just start by saying it's happened again. It's happened again. A prominent pro football writer is speculating that Nick Saban is going to the NFL. And I'll get into that in a second. But, uh, man, what a great day of college football this afternoon. Uh, Starting here at 1 o'clock Central Time, got the Military Bowl, Duke versus UCF. In Annapolis, Maryland, uh, and that that should be a fun game. Should be a fun game. Let's see how uh, Gus Malzahn and his troops can uh, handle the Blue Devils. And then at uh, uh, 4:30 this afternoon, got the AutoZone Liberty Bowl in Memphis, and they're having some serious issues at that stadium with. Uh, Pipes uh, freezing and 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 bursting and uh, water issues, but uh, hopefully the the game will go on. Probably going to be a minuscule crowd. Who knows? We'll see. But that's Kansas versus Arkansas. Can Arkansas and Sam Pittman end the season on a high note? Then at seven o'clock on Fox in a game that is always sort of fascinating and fun and. And uh, in, in just always one of the best bowl games, it's the uh, San Diego Credit Union Holiday Bowl, otherwise known as just the Holiday Bowl. And that is Oregon versus North Carolina. Bo Nix, can he carve up that Tar Heel defense? It's pretty interesting that Bo Nix decided to come back uh, 
and play another year for the Oregon Ducks. And uh, frankly, Bo Nix just looked like a different quarterback this year. I think it was good for him, good for his uh, psyche, good for his uh, just overall game to uh, get out of Auburn and what was a very toxic environment and uh, and head out to Eugene, Oregon, fresh start. And he put up some just staggering numbers. And I think you got to put Bo Nix on short list of potential Heisman Trophy candidates for next season because he decided to come back. And I, I, I talked to a couple scouts uh, just uh, in the last week or two about Bo Nix, and I, I think Bo Nix would have been a surprisingly high draft pick. A lot of people are in the NFL are really high on, on Bo and, and his accuracy, his mobility, his ability to process information, um, his arm strength. And uh, But I also think it was a good idea for him to come back to show that he can do it two years in a row. And then uh, the, uh, the nightcap, 8 o'clock Central on ESPN, is the Tex, Tax Act Texas Bowl. Texas Tech versus Ole Miss. And uh, what does Lane Kiffin have in store for Texas Tech? Um, that will be a, a, a fun game. And uh, really looking forward to that one as well. And uh, just a, a, a great night of um, a great day, great night of college football. You know, I think there's a reason why it feels like things go so fast between Christmas and New Year's. It's because we're, we're all watching college football. We're all just, um, you know, glued to our televisions and, and having, a, having a great time watching college football. It, it, it really is. The, if you're a college football junkie like uh, I am and, and like so many of us who uh, I'm sure listen to this show, uh, it doesn't get much better than uh, these next few days. But I wanted to start with uh, something that Albert Breer who I've known for a long time. Uh, I think we overlapped at Sports Illustrated for a while, and he's very, very well respected. And and Albert Breer came out and said uh, basically that, uh, hey, when it comes to the Denver Broncos coaching search, let your mind run wild because there's an owner here with a historic franchise, a desirable city to live in, and a wide-open checkbook. How about Nick Saban? How about Bill Belichick? And so he did it again. Nick Saban, once again, age 71, mentioned for an NFL coaching job. And uh, I probably have uh, talked about Nick Saban to the NFL on over a hundred different shows uh, since I wrote uh, my first book on Alabama, and that was the the Storm and the Tide uh, about the uh, April twenty seventh, two thousand eleven tornado, and then the subsequent two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve national championship winning seasons, and you know been on Colin Cowherd and Jim Rome and and all different shows across the country, and everybody wants to know. You know, and this is a decade-long thing now, over a decade-long question. Will Nick Saban return to the pros? 
I've always said, absolutely not. It's ridiculous. Just stop. Just stop with this nonsense. Albert Breer, stop. Don't even bring Nick Saban's name up. Stop. He's not leaving Tuscaloosa. And, look, I've always argued, and I've even mentioned this to to Coach Saban in in person, that I, I think ever since April 27th, 2011, that fundamentally changed him, and it fundamentally changed Miss Terry. It made them feel grounded and rooted in a community in a way that they never felt before. Because Nick Saban was no longer just a head football coach after that tragic event that took 53 lives in Tuscaloosa, including several students. He was a community leader. He was somebody who everyone turned to for hope. He hugged more people in a 24-hour period in the wake of the destruction than he had in the entirety of his life. He listened. He listened hard. He embraced. He consoled. He became a iconic community figure again in a way that had nothing to do with football because right away at dawn on April 28th the day after he met his director of football ops Thad Turnipseed who's now at Clemson and Thad has such a great perspective on the difference between Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney because he spent so much time with both of them but Thad drove Nick, well, first they loaded up uh, uh, the back of a truck up with Gatorades and water that was left over from the spring game, and they went into the hardest hit areas. And 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 Nick and and uh, got out of the car. Well, first they got stopped by police, by actually I, I think it was National Guard uh, at, at sort of a checkpoint, and uh, and and and. Um, you know, they didn't know what to do, uh, or, or sorry, they got stopped, and and uh, <laughs> uh, Nick Saban rolls down the window, guardsman sees him, and just says, uh, hey, um, it's Nick Saban here, and so they let Nick in, and Nick goes through the gates and, again, starts handing out uh, waters, and uh and 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 just uh begins the process of healing right there and that moment those those few days i mean they they did something to nick and to miss terry again the winds of that day may have torn the, the 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 trees the houses apart and asunder but they rooted Nick Saban in the community in a way that he had never been rooted before. So, I've always argued and always believed, and had never been contradicted on this by anyone close to Nick, that he's never going to leave. He's going to retire in Tuscaloosa. And, again, for somebody like Albert Breer, just to throw this out there, man, it, it just uh, it, it, it kind of ticks me off because it's so 
I would like to use a curse word here. It's so blank and irresponsible. Uh, and I know he's just like clickbait stuff, whatever. Nick Saban's 71. He's not going back to the NFL. <laughs> not going back to the NFL whatsoever. Um, all right. This is big news sports again. Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter has a day off, and Christian Harris. Christian, uh, I don't know if you saw this report that Albert Breer put out, but uh, I, I just wanted to quash it as 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 profoundly as I could. I, I assume that uh, that you would agree with me, but if you don't agree with me, feel free to uh, feel free to disagree. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm good. Thank you, man, Christian Miller. I think you had me mixed up with former oh. linebacker with the Texans, Christian Harris, for a second, <laughs> Lars. But I, I'm sorry. You know, we got all sorts of technical issues going on in here, and no, it's, it's somewhat hard to concentrate. No, you're good. <laughs> Speaking of him, he he actually had a big play. He had his uh, first uh, career interception for the, the Texans, helped seal the deal um, this past weekend against the Titans, I believe. So a uh, big play by Christian Harris there. But um uh, doing well today, and uh, to answer your question, no, I, I don't think he's going anywhere. You know, he's uh, under contract through 2030, and uh, he'll be 78 um, when that contract expires. So I think he enjoys Tuscaloosa. He likes being able to work with players and develop uh, young men um, here in Tuscaloosa. And, and like you mentioned, he's just built such a great foundation here that I don't see him ever leaving. Um, even Miss Terry, you know, they, they do so much for the community, and they enjoy uh, leaving an impact on all, uh, all these people around here. So I don't think they want to go anywhere. I think they, they stay put and, and, and finish it through and through. Yeah, I, I'm with you, obviously. Okay, this is uh, Big Noon Sports. We'll be right back. we got a lot to talk about. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Did you know that driving under the influence of marijuana is illegal? Driving high will get you a DUI. And if you're wondering if law enforcement can tell you're driving high, well, everyone else. Well, I think that sometimes you have a feeling by how the players prepare, what their focus is in meetings, uh, how in tune they are to sort of having the mental intensity and energy and practice and how they prepare for the game because if they're doing the things the right way, that sort of shows you that they have the right mindset. So usually you have a pretty good feeling going into the game that you're going to play well. But, you know, games are funny things. You know, all sports and all games have huge swings in momentum. I've watched a couple NFL games the last couple days, and I saw huge swings in momentum where one team would be dominating and then something happens, like the Dolphins game yesterday was a great example. You know, they could have gone up three scores, they fumble and turn it over right before the half. They were never the same team after that. So. Sometimes you're ready to play a game and you go out and execute very well, but you got to be able to recapture the momentum in the game when things don't go well. you got to be able to overcome adversity. So even though you may practice and prepare and start out really well, uh, you've got to be able to maintain that intensity and that momentum for 60 minutes in the game, regardless of what happens in the game, whether things go well 
or something bad happens, you got to be able to overcome it. But I think that's one of the great things about athletics. I think that's one of the great things about football is learning how to overcome adversity. The more you listen to Nick Saban talk before the Sugar Bowl, the more it sounds like this team is is ready to go. And, uh, Christian, I, I think the focus is there, and I, I think a, a large part of that is because Bryce Young and Will Anderson decided to come back and play, and they're simply not going through the motions. They're they're there to win this game. They're, it, it's clear that this game matters to them. And, um, you know, just by judging by what the players are saying, what the coaches are saying, uh, it it sounds like that this game actually means something to Alabama. Now, certainly this game means a hell of a lot to Kansas State. If Kansas State were to somehow upset Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, it would go down as one of the defining moments, as one of the biggest wins in Wildcat history. And this is a very capable Wildcat team. We saw them beat TCU in the Big 12 championship. They have two quarterbacks who are really good. Uh, I I have seen uh, Adrian Martinez play a lot. He's a transfer from Nebraska. He should be healthy and ready to go. And um, he's he's a he's a dual threat guy, and um, and look, Kansas State, they they know that this is a big moment for them, and Alabama needs to be ready, Christian. Yeah, definitely. You know, they're a dangerous team. We saw that um, in the Big Twelve Championship game where they faced TCU, able to win that football game. Um, like you mentioned. Uh, uh, two solid quarterbacks, the backup who played in the cha- Big 12 championship game, did a tremendous job for them, um, leading them to that victory. You know, they also have a really uh, talented running back in Deuce Vaughn, smaller guy, but plays a lot bigger than his actual size. And um, again, I think they're just a very solid football team. And uh, I think Alabama needs to take this game serious, which um, from all accounts, I feel like they are. Um, like you mentioned, there's a lot of good um, you know, motivation right now. They got both of their team leaders uh, playing in the, in the ball in the bowl game, um, and Bryce Young and Will Anderson. Um, so I, I'm, I'm expecting a, a good game. You know, they they finished the regular season strong with a big win over Auburn at home, and uh, they just seem like they're riding on some momentum, like Coach Saban mentioned. And I think it's important to carry that into this this bowl game and, and ultimately come out with a big win and uh, lead that momentum into the off season and to help uh, keep the keep the wheels turning and. and um, keep that spirit throughout the program to kind of reestablish that identity that they're looking for, uh, to do. Yeah, I want to stick with Deuce Vaughn for a second. Um, he's a really interesting player. He's 5'6", uh, about 175 pounds, maybe 180. Uh, and, and this year, man, he, he carried the ball 271 times, 1,400 yards, um and had 42 receptions for 378 I, I i christian is a running back of that stature could he have held up for a season in the sec because we know the big 12 is is a little more wide open you know defenses aren't quite as uh as as uh intimidating in the big 12 as they are in the sec and and uh, I've always argued after, you know, studying different conferences, 
and talking to coaches, frankly, the difference between the SEC and all the other all the other conferences are the defensive linemen. The defensive linemen are just sort of different creatures, right, in the SEC than in conferences like the Big 12. But but could a player like Vaughn hold up, you think, for an entire season in the SEC? I think so. Um, you know, based on what I've seen um, in the short amount of time that I've watched him, um, you know, like I said, he, he plays a lot bigger than his stature um, just because he's 5'6 and uh, just shy of 180 pounds. He doesn't play like that. You know, he he's not afraid to lower his shoulder. He'll run in between the tackles. Um, convincingly and uh, you know you'll see him take some big hits and he gets right back up uh, you know he's a really tough guy an elusive guy but a strong guy for his size and uh, you know he packs that weight on uh, nicely but you know I, I think he could hold up and um, I, I'm excited I'm, I'm excited to see him face Alabama I think it'll be a big challenge for him but I think it will be uh, another challenge for the Alabama defense as well because he's a very dynamic player is Deuce Vaughn an NFL player in your estimation uh, again, I haven't, you know, watched him a whole bunch other than, you know, several games. But from what I've seen, I feel that he definitely um, has a talent. You know, that's going to be one thing that scouts are going to pick apart is that he's undersized. But we've seen other, uh, you know, NFL guys that had similar statures that ended up being successful. Um, you look at guys like Darren Scrolls, another, you know, pretty small guy, probably about five, six, um, you know, a little maybe slightly stockier than Deuce Vaughn. But. Um, you know, that guy was re- returning punts and kicks where you have guys running full speed at you. You're taking big hits um, doing those returns, you know, and he had a successful NFL career. Um, so I, I think he I think he could uh, have a shot at playing in the NFL. Yeah, Sproles was just electric. Uh, I remember him at Kansas State and, and seeing him play in person so many times. And you just couldn't believe how, how quick he was in, in a short amount of space, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you, you put this, you put him in like a little box and two guys are in that box. He, he's going to juke both of those guys and somehow uh, uh, get out of it and, and not take any big hits. So uh, another thing, uh, Alabama, Kansas State, kickoffs at 11 a.m. Did, did you uh, like those early kickoffs or did you dislike them? Not a big fan of early kickoffs just because everything is so so sudden. You know, you wake up at, you know, almost six o'clock in the morning. You know, pregame meal is basically pregame breakfast. And, um, you know, you're, you're just it happens so quick. But um, but, you know, I, I will say that there is some aspects of that that is better, though, because sometimes those night games, man, you're just so so eager to play. You're just sitting around the hotel for so long and all you can do is just wait. You know, you can stretch, do some push-ups in the hotel room or, you know, look through your uh, pregame tests and pregame notes. But, man, it's not fun waiting and waiting hours and hours just to, to go play either. So I, I like in-between. I like a nice afternoon game, like a 2.30, 3 o'clock. So what time does everything, if it's an 11 o'clock kick, what time is uh, are, does the alarm go off, and or, or or whoever comes and knocks on the door wakes you up? Like, what's the routine? Can you just walk us through the the pregame routine, really starting with breakfast, meetings, etc. Yeah, I'm not going to be completely accurate because it's been it's been a while. But I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe wake up, wake up at six o'clock in the morning. Um, you'll have you know breakfast um, probably around seven thirty eight. Um, you know, you'll have a you know pregame walk through kind of deal or um, whatever the team does. Probably, oh man, probably eight thirty nine ish. But you're probably on the bus no later than nine because uh, you got to get over to the stadium. And, and usually, you, you get to the stadium probably two hours before kickoff. So 
Yeah, you probably have the, the, the walk through around 8.30ish, and then you're on the bus by 9, uh, no later than that. So that's how quick things are. Next thing you know, you're in the locker room, putting your pads on, stretching, warming up, getting taped up, and ready to go. Did you have any particular, I don't know, uh, idiosyncratic things you'd like to do? <laughs> any Anything that was just uh, that, that you like to do to get ready for a game once you're at the stadium? Yeah, I love to use uh, like the bands to get a nice little pregame pump. Anytime I felt, uh, you know, like I was, it had a nice pump, like I just got a nice little workout and nothing too major that way I wasn't, you know, straining myself and no, no strenuous exercising, but just enough to kind of get my get my muscles pumped up and feeling big enough. Yeah, and then that that would always get me ready to go. And then what was that first uh, the first time you just uh, cracked the pads on the opponent? What was that like? What do you mean, like the first hit? Yeah, the first hit. Oh, I mean, it felt great because you finally had that, that wake-up call and you're ready to roll. You, you always need that first kind of solid contact to kind of, you know, really get you get you moving and, 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 and woken up. So that, you always like to get that early in, early in the game. Okay, 1 o'clock, we are going to be joined with Tim Brando of Fox Sports. And also, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Love to take your calls at uh, 205-342-9904. That's 205-342-9904. And I want to thank everybody who's listening to us in Birmingham on 95.3 and 92.5 and 1260 AM. And and those in Tuscaloosa, our flagship station, 100.9. And in Aniston and Gadsden on 97.5. This is Big Noon Sports. We'll be right back. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Gift the best with the best steaks of your life from Omaha Steaks, America's original butcher since 1917. Perfectly aged, tender, unforgettable, and... We've worked really hard all year on things that you're talking about. Team playing with more discipline, making better choices and decisions about executing. Because most of the time, and when you analyze what happens good and what happens poorly in the game, it comes down to your ability to execute. Fundamentals, blocking, tackling, not making poor choices and decisions and getting penalties at critical times in the game, whether it's you know, dropping a ball, missing a route, not playing the right coverage, missing a tackle, whatever it might be, it usually comes down to execution. So that's something that we've tried. Talking about just execution, execution, execution. I'm reminded of John McKay's famous quote when the Buccaneers, he was a former USC coach, and uh, I know our, our next guest, Corey Miller, probably remembers this quote. It's one of the most famous in uh, NFL history. 
and I'm just remembering this off the top of my head, but uh, the Buccaneers were on their way to a 0 and 14 season uh, in their inaugural year of uh, I think 1976. Uh, it could have been 78, but uh, when a reporter asked late in the season, and the Buccaneers were really struggling, said, "Coach, what do you think of your team's execution?" And McKay, without missing a beat, said, I'm in favor of it. <laughs> Corey Miller now joins us, the father of Christian Miller. Corey, do you do you remember John McKay and that particular quote? I don't remember that quote, but I definitely remember John McKay. And and uh, it's kind of funny, though, just listen to you say that. I'm in favor of it, so that tells you the importance of it, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. Um what are your thoughts on uh on just uh Christian and I have been talking a little bit uh previewing the Alabama uh uh Kansas State game and you know K-State really has nothing to lose in this game and if K-State could somehow pull off the upset it would go down as one of the biggest wins in Kansas State history, whereas Alabama, uh, the, the fact that uh, Bryce Young and Will Anderson are playing, it, it seems to really have infused this team with an immense amount of focus leading up to the game. Just give us your analysis of, uh, of, of how you see the Sugar Bowl playing out. Yeah, you know, you look at this uh, game, and you're right. I heard you guys uh, talking about it. You know, Kansas State who just won, you know, Big 12 championship, knocking out TCU and uh, playing with a backup quarterback, playing with a big secondary guys out in that game, and they got it done uh, in dramatic fashion. Uh, but for Alabama, you know, everybody's been talking about, especially in Tuscaloosa, but also nationally, how this is a, a down season. You know, they go 10-2. and two. Uh, They don't make the SEC championship. They don't get chosen for the college football playoffs. And you look at the season, it was one of those seasons where you know, a lot of people felt like Alabama wasn't Alabama. They didn't just blow people out. Uh, they had some tough wins. You know, Texas A&M at home, that game was built up to be something big, but it was a scary game for the Tide. And then the two losses, though, on the road, hostile environments, at night at LSU, a, a, a gutsy two-point conversion was a difference in that ball game. Uh, but Brian Kelly, uh, you look at Tennessee on the road, Rocky Top in 15 years, I believe. Uh, they come up with the, the, the big win of Alabama. After Alabama botches a kick, uh, Tennessee goes down uh, and, and wins the game with the kick. So, uh, you know, they're four points away from being undefeated. <laughs> after all that I just said, and all the talk, Alabama is four points from being an undefeated football team and being probably the number one seed uh, in, the, in, the, in the college football playoffs. So you look at that, and now you look at the two losses of the Sugar Bowl against a team that they're going to play the Giants at uh, the SEC. Alabama still is that giant, no matter what people say about Georgia. When the A rolls on the field, it means something totally different. So, yeah, they're going to be fired up. You know you're going to get their best. Just like every week, every, Alabama gets everybody's best. So this team has to be ready. They have to be able to meet uh, that same intensity. They have to be ready to play disciplined football. Uh, and I think it really helps them that, you know, Bryce 
Uh, you know, these guys coming back, Will Anderson, their two leaders, their best players, setting a tone to say, hey, this is why we came here. We came here to finish what we started. We came here to play in a game that most may say doesn't mean anything, but it means everything because it helps this football team propel itself into next season if you can win this game. You know, you're talking about 11-2 and two year. I mean, I don't know how many programs, probably no other team would say being 11-2 and two is, a, is a failure, <laughs> but except Tuscaloosa. But I, I like what I've been hearing. I like what Coach Saban has been saying in his press conferences. I like what the players are saying. Uh, you know, they had some guys, you know, hit the transfer portal, but they're going to coach who's ever there. Some guys don't get some, some great opportunity to go out on a national stage, even though it's an 11 o'clock central game, uh, and play some a really meaningful football. So I think you're going to see a team that feels like they're disrespected. I think you're going to find a team that feels like they haven't been given a just due. Uh, and they're going to go out to prove that, hey, we're going to knock out the Big 12 champions. We're going to beat down a team and just beat a team that you picked in front of us. So I think this is what Nick Saban is feeling. He's telling his guys, listen, we want to go dominate this team so people can see in that playoff committee that they made a huge mistake. And I think that's what's going to happen. I think it's going to be a tough day for Kansas State. I think you're going to see the best version of Alabama than, than what we've seen all season long. I really do. Because I think this is what Coach Saban is saying now. Hey, oh, you think we, you know, the, the, the third cousin? Well, we're getting ready to show you. And this team that you put in the playoffs, we're going to tell you why we should have been that team that will compete with Georgia and Ohio State and Michigan. So I think that's what we're going to see down in New Orleans. Speaking of Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan and also TCU, what are your thoughts on, on, on those matchups in the uh, semifinals of the college football playoff? Do you, you know, there's a lot of talk about Georgia being that top dog right now, but um, I, I could see Ohio State being a threat to those guys, even though it is somewhat of a home field advantage for Georgia playing in Atlanta. Uh, preview that matchup, that Georgia-Ohio State game. What, what are your thoughts on that one? You know, Georgia, uh, Christian, is, is a really good football team that has basically, you know, stolen the model of Alabama and, and you know, physicality in the line of scrimmages. Uh, the run game is just a run-first oriented football team. That's how they play. Play action passes, utilizing those tight ends and great defense. But when I watch Georgia play, and I watch them play about every single week, right, I still don't come away with, with some of the notions that I'm sure Tim Brando's going to say and some of the other national pundits that this is just this crazy dominant football team. I saw a team in the SEC championship game give up 500 yards uh, against LSU, a team that I felt like had Alabama got a chance to play them would have beaten them because I felt like they could have threatened them in areas other teams possibly could not. That being said, I'm picking Ohio State to win the ball game because I think Ohio State, although I don't think they're deserving to be there by the way they got blown out at home against Michigan, Christian, I think Ohio State has everything in place to beat Georgia. They got a lot of big playmakers on the outside. They can run the football, and I think they play good enough defense. And I don't think, you know, Georgia is this juggernaut football team that just shows up and just blows out good football teams. I don't see that. Uh, we haven't seen that since they played Oregon in week one. So I like Ohio State, and I think this is going to be what Alabama was a few years back, maybe when you were playing, Christian, that uh, they got in that fourth seed, and I believe they went on to win uh, the national championship game. I kind of see this happen with Ohio State. I really do. And I think 
them losing and how they lost to Michigan in the Big Ten championship game, I think this team is this team is is somebody nobody wants to play. And I think they beat Georgia. And I think we're going to see a rematch some of what we've seen against uh, Alabama and Georgia a few years ago. We're going to see that with the Big Ten championship teams. Uh, Corey, I agree with you 100%. Uh, we had Matt Finkus on yesterday, a, a former All-American at Ohio State, and and uh, what he told us just sort of amplified my, my thoughts was that uh, I think Ohio State won. They have uh, the best. Uh, they got. They have the best quarterback in Stroud, and they have I think the best overall offensive player in Marvin Harrison Jr. And uh, I, I like Ohio State big, uh, not not to win big, but I, I think Ohio State uh, will upset Georgia in this game. Can you preview the other game for us, Michigan versus TCU? Um, do, you, does, do you give TCU any shot at all to upset the Wolverines? No. I, I just I am very distraught with the whole TCU being a playoff team. Uh, I mean, I've seen too many – close games against opponents that weren't good throughout the course of the year. Yeah, they won those, but they were teams that they should have been just blowing out and dominating. They didn't do that. I love the story uh, of the quarterback. I love all that good stuff, but I think Michigan, their physicality up front, the offensive line, probably the best offensive line in all of college football. Of course, they got the award for that. Uh, they run it downhill. I know the start running back is out, but they've seen that they got somebody capable of making things happen back there. I think the quarterback, uh, you know, they talked about making him throw the ball to beat you. Well, he did that against Ohio State very nicely, and I think he's going to do it again. And you're talking about one of the top three defenses in the country. They get after you. They they can stop the run. They can make you one-dimensional. The secondary is very good. Ball hawks in that secondary, they'll turn you over. And I think what Michigan has right now is that feeling of what happened last year, right, when they played Georgia uh, in the college football playoffs, and really got dominated. They went back and said, hey, guys, we got to be more physical. Jim Harbaugh told these guys, we got to have this kind of – if we're going to be a championship team, we got to be able to dominate people in the trenches. Well, they had that this year, and I think it's going to be too much for TCU. Good story, but they're not a top-four team. Alabama should be in that four spot, in my opinion. Ohio State should be three. And I think Michigan plays, again, as I said, we're going to see a rematch. Of, of Michigan and Ohio State, and I think it's going to be a fun championship game, but I think TCU is going to be like Cincinnati was last year playing Alabama. Good story throughout the course of the year. They get in, but they're not going to do too much. So I like the Michigan Wolverines and Coach Khaki Pants to win this football game. <laughs> Coach Khaki Pants, I love that. Hey, real, real quick before you go, uh, tell, tell us where you're, where you're headed real quick on the road and then what you got planned uh, upcoming. Well, I'm on 95 South with a lot of Tennessee flags, Clemson tags, Gamecocks, and Notre Dame to fight now. But I'm going in Jacksonville here uh, for the Gator Bowl. South Carolina take on Notre Dame. Uh, I played in the Gator Bowl for the Gamecocks back in 1987. And so we're visiting that arena again. But, uh, yeah, I'm going there and uh, hang out there a couple of days, see some of my good friends like Jim Fierke, the P.J. golfer. As a matter of fact, I'm staying with him. And his wife Tabitha, so we'll be here a couple of days uh, watching some good bowl games and and uh, hopefully the Gamecocks with a uh, depleted roster, one tight end on the roster, 
<laughs> only barely enough players to uh, play this game based on the transfer portal and opting out. So I'm, I'm on 95 South right now in a bunch of traffic with a lot of other uh, college football fans getting ready for some big bowl games uh, this week and the weekend. Awesome. Well, at least you're not trying to fly south southwest uh, right now. Uh, well, my, <laughs> smart my, move my friend to, Patrick uh, Davis got canceled. Uh, he's uh, having a concert. Patrick Davis and Edwin McCain is a good friend of mine as well. Uh, he was flying down from Nashville, was trying to. Southwest canceled him, so he's forced now to make a 10-hour drive to Jacksonville, Florida, because there's no flight. So, uh, you know, I'm about four hours from Columbia, so easy drive for me, man. Well, uh, Corey, thank you so much. And um, who do you like to win the uh, the whole shebang here? You, you, you've said that you think it's going to be Ohio State, Michigan in the national championship game. Uh, who do you lean if that if that's what happens? I'm going with Michigan. I think Michigan. You know, I think it's this is their year. I, I just feel like uh, Jim Harbaugh, all the stuff he went through. You know, taking a pay cut and people talking about getting rid of him, going back to the NFL. He's, He's turned his program around, and, and I just think it's Michigan's time. I really do, and I, I think they play Ohio State again. Most people probably pick Ohio State, but I think Michigan got the right makeup. They are the uh, SEC lookalike team in the Big Ten. They kind of mimic that Georgia football team. So, again, I'm a fan of Jim Harbaugh. Uh, I, I know he loves his players. I like how they play football, physical, very disciplined, uh, and, and they have fun in doing that. So I'm going Michigan. Uh, to win the whole thing in the college football playoffs. And, uh, you know, I might buy me a nice pair of creased khaki pants in honor of Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> uh, that's great stuff, Corey. I, I once uh, wrote a story for Bleacher Report. Is a profile on Jim Harbaugh, and the uh, title of it was "The Devil Wears Khakis." Uh, <laughs> so Jim Harbaugh is not not the biggest fan of mine. But uh, thank you so much for your time, and uh, and we will talk to you again soon, Corey. And uh, we'll be right back here on Big Noon Sports. Covering SEC sports like kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. 365, 24-7. You'll find road and utility crews, tow trucks, law enforcement, and first responders working along Alabama's roadway. We're making improvements and helping our communities stay connected. We're working hard to make sure you're safe on the road. Now we need your help to make sure we're safe, too. Alabama's Move Over Law requires you to move over a lane when you see flashing lights on the roadside. And if you can't safely move over, please slow down. Visit drivesafealabama.org. Brought to you by the Alabama Department of Transportation, Alabama Broadcasters Association, and this station. Hey, y'all, this is your girl, Cheryl Underwood, and I want to tell you something. My digestive system used to make me feel sluggish, but those days are over. Now I feel great. That's because I increased my fiber. Message asking you to verify your account and only respond to official Alabama Department of Labor's social media pages. Report fraud at labor.alabama.gov fraud. Brought to you by the Alabama Department of Labor, ABA, and the station. The Alabama Department of Labor is an equal opportunity employer program. Auxiliary aids and services available upon request to individuals with disabilities. Dial 711 for TTY accessibility. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. I'm meteorologist Bill Murray on Tide 100.9. It's 60 degrees in Tuscaloosa.
Welcome back to Thinking Sports. Uh, we just got a quick second here before we had a break for the top of the hour. Uh, really great segment with Corey Miller, Christian's dad. And uh, Christian, I wanted to ask you real quick. Uh, I played one-on-one with my son Lincoln the other day, uh, Hoops, and he's seven. And I, I had to send the ball back once in his face, okay? I just had to. I couldn't help myself. Uh, when did it get serious with your dad when it came to one-on-one, and when did you ultimately beat him? I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you have beaten him. Hell, we were always competitive. Uh, I think that's just the competitive nature of uh, both of us. But uh, I finally finally got to beat him uh, not, not too long ago. It was probably when I was about 18 we were playing basketball and uh it was at my house and uh, i just remember because you know he actually believe it or not he can shoot you know he's got a lot of size on him he'll back you down but he has a great jump shot and uh i can't remember what what happened exactly i just know i caught fire and uh man i was i was on point that game and i finally beat him and i finally earned the respect from him my brother who also is a basketball player even though i never played finally finally got got it done that's awesome. All right. We're, I, I want to get more to that story on the other side. This is Big Noon Sports, hour two coming up, and we're going to have Tim Brando joining us at 115 Central. We'll be right back. Updated COVID vaccines are here, just in time for the season that brings us all closer, just in time for added protection against the original COVID virus and Omicron. Just- Welcome back to Big Noon Sports. With Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Christian Miller. Welcome back into Big News Sports. Lars Anderson and Christian Miller. Matt Coulter has the day off. Thanks for everybody who's listening. On uh, Birmingham, 95.3, 92.5, and 12.60 a.m. In Tuscaloosa, our flagship station, 100.9. And those of you in Anison and Gadsden on 97.5. And uh, we're looking to grow the network here uh, shortly in the, in the new year. We have high hopes, big aspirations, just like I'm sure everybody does. Um, and I, I wanted just to talk real quick about uh jim harbaugh and 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 christian i'll I'll go to you first and just your impression of uh jim harbaugh because uh your your dad and we're talking a little bit about uh uh, jim in in the last segment and you know his his preference for khaki pants he he wears khakis and basically the same outfit every day the same reason why nick saban has the same lunch every day, uh, which is what a, a a salad with some turkey on it. It's because he doesn't. Jim Harbaugh doesn't want to have to take the time to pick out his outfit because it will uh, take away from uh, more important decisions he needs to make. But uh, your your impressions of Harbaugh over uh, all these years, and I, I don't know if you've had a chance to meet him or not. I'll be honest, Lars. I, I don't I don't really know anything about him. Um, never met him. I don't think I've ever played against a team that he was coaching. Um, I, I I really can't tell you much about him other than 
Um, he seems to, you know, be a, a solid football coach. He's been doing it for a long time. He played for a while. Um, definitely kind of an interesting character from the interviews that I've seen. But um, I, I'll be honest, I, I really do not know much about him. I think you probably could <laughs> offer a little more insight than I could on this one. Well, you know, he, he he's a really interesting guy. And, um, you know, just a, a couple stories – uh sort of illustrate his um you know his uh let's just call it interestingness and uh one of them uh goes back to <laughs> I was playing golf and uh, not to name drop but with uh with Frank Beamer uh one afternoon and uh it was when Frank was still the head coach of Virginia Tech and uh, he lives on, uh, he's got a place on Reynolds Plantation, Georgia. And that's how I got to know Shane, uh, was through, uh, through his dad. And, um, and, and during the round, he, he was telling me about um, uh, a memory that he had from late in 2010. And he was coaching the Hokies, and uh, they were preparing to play uh, Stanford, where Harbaugh was the head coach in, in, in the Orange Bowl. And they met at a restaurant in Miami. And as they're, uh, you know, taking some pictures together, it's just the two of them, and they start talking. And, and Jim, he leans over to uh, Frank Beamer, who's like the most respected coach, you know, in, in the country. And Jim says over and over how much respect he has Remember, he's a Jim or a, a, a Beamer coaches Virginia Tech. Jim leans over and says how much respect he has for Georgia Tech. He kept saying, "Gosh, man, Georgia Tech, you guys are so good. You're so good. You're so good." And finally, Frank looks at him. He's like, "You know, we're not Georgia Tech. We're we're, we're Virginia Tech." And then Harbaugh threw that uh, what 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 we now call or what what I described as that he's got this infamous sort of shark expression. His, his mouth is wide open. His eyes are on fire. He looks poised to uh, poised to chomp and and you know sometimes he holds that expression for like thirty seconds without speaking. And everybody, you know, you wonder what's going through this guy's mind, or is there anything going through his mind? And Beamer, he continued to lock eyes with Harbaugh for a few minutes, just waiting him for us to say something. And he's and Frank Beamer told me it was like the most uncomfortable silence of his entire life. And finally, Harbaugh, he he opened, he, he finally says, "Well, I can't wait to tell my players that you said that we're going to play Samford, not Stanford." And then Harbaugh turns and walks away, and Beamer's like. What the heck just happened here? <laughs> it was just like, was Jim, was he trying to uh, just like freak me out? And and Beamer ultimately thought, well, um, yeah, he's either crazy or, or crazy like a damn fox. And uh, and sure enough, you know, um, Mich or Stanford went on to beat uh, uh, Michigan or uh, Virginia Tech, excuse me, in that game, forty to twelve. And uh, just a, a, another story of uh, a, a, of Harbaugh that is just really wild is that uh, shortly after he arrived in Ann Arbor, he and his wife went to a uh, restaurant, 
and uh, they uh, were enjoying a meal. And then suddenly um, there's like a, a shriek in the back of the restaurant. And it turns out that there was a, uh, a little mouse running around. And, uh, and, you know, everybody was kind of freaking out. Well, guess who pounces into action? It's Jim Harbaugh. He uh, he <laughs> he got like a, a he got a waiter to give him a, a to go box, and he chased that dang mouse around for like fifteen minutes, and he finally captured that mouse, and he raises that box up, and you know it's like uh, you know uh, Caesar just conquering Rome or whatever, or just or Caesar entering Rome, like uh, the, the the cheers that he got from everyone, and uh, he ended up taking the mouse across the street, uh, across the highway, and letting it go in, in a field, but he would not stop until that mouse was caught and you know there have been people who have speculated that perhaps he could be on and i'm not the first to suggest this that you know that he could be on the spectrum perhaps a little bit but uh you know he's just he's got this singular focus that is uh is is really uh amazing and uh you know, he was very close to losing his job, and uh, it was actually his wife who told me that that mouse story, uh, uh, Sarah Harbaugh, and uh, you know, she just thought it revealed so much about Jim because once he sets his mind to something, he absolutely is going to do it. Now, is he really good, sort of in sort of interpersonal, you know, communications with people? Probably not, but he sure can coach football. So, uh, and, and, you know, he, he rubbed some people the wrong way here in Alabama when he came down here and, and took the shirt off on, on re, in that summer recruiting. It was like in Prattville or, or, or somewhere in, in Alabama. But, um, yeah, I mean, you can't, you, you can't underestimate the guy. And, uh, and and I think uh, the, this team is an image of him, which is just they play with toughness. Uh, they are especially good uh, at the point of attack on both sides of the ball. And that's why I think they are absolutely going to dominate TCU because of their uh, offensive line play especially and also their defensive line play. That That's my take on it. Your thoughts? Yeah, um, I think any good football team, you, um, you know, they they dominate in the trenches. You know, any any good football team, that's where it starts. It starts up front. You have good offensive and defensive line play, and uh, you alluded to that with those guys. Um, they're a disciplined football team, and uh, they take the shape of their coach, who is a disciplined guy. Um, you mentioned how he wears his, his pants, the same pants every day. I just was reading up on it actually, and. Um, his players were even saying, you know, in workouts, he's wearing those khaki pants on the field. He wears cleats with those khaki pants. So um, that is definitely very interesting, but you got to respect it. Um, you know, he found what works for him and he sticks to it. Um, you know, I'm very regimented myself, maybe not to that extent, but um, you got to respect a guy like that because um, he's having success and uh, he's got the backing and support of his players. And, and that's what matters. You know, they're, they're willing to go out there and fight for their coach and uh, they're having a successful season because of that. 
Yeah, and, and, and one one final story before we go to break. Um, when he was the head coach of uh, at, at Stanford, he was late to practice one day. And that was because as he's driving to campus, there was a light out at, uh, at, at an intersection. And there was this female police officer who was uh, directing traffic. And she was doing it. Uh, and this is according to Jim. She was doing it with such a mas- in such a masterful way that he pulled over and just wanted to see her do it because he had never seen anybody direct traffic in uh, in a way that was absolutely perfect. And he loves watching people do their job at the highest level. And um, you know, so he ended up being late for practice. That's just Jim Harbaugh. Uh, there's no one else like him in the coaching profession. All right, when we come back on Big News Sports, we're going to be joined with Tim Brando, and we're going to talk all things college football. We'll be right back. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. With Taco Casa, you know, it's not really fast food because it's made fresh every day in the store. The quality hasn't changed. The consistency hasn't changed because even... Wait to uh, speak with Tim Brando. Man, is there a better quarterback matchup in the bowl games than we have tonight in the Holiday Bowl? Drake May of North Carolina versus Oregon's Bo Nix. Both teams have lost their offensive coordinators since the regular season ended, but this is going to be a score of Palooza, I think, tonight. Uh, each team averaged more than 35 a game. Uh, each team is looking for that tenth win of the season, and uh, for those of us in uh, Alabama who are familiar with Bo Nix, and I spent a lot of time with Bo when he was a freshman, and and wrote about a five thousand word piece on him for Bleacher Report. I'm certainly pulling for him because uh, he was mocked for his struggles at Alabama, and um, but he's looked like a new player. Uh, now that he's been in Eugene, and and uh, I'm really happy for him. Uh, Tim Brando, what 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 are your thoughts on on the development of Bo Nix uh, going from Auburn out to the West Coast, out to Eugene, and and just uh, what you have seen from Bo this year? Well, I had him twice. You know, I had him on the road at Washington State and on the road at Cal, and he was impressive. Uh, in both games, Lars uh, had to bring his team from 17 points down in the fourth quarter at Wazoo uh, before a jam-packed crowd in Pullman that was ready to uh, celebrate the way they did when Gardner Minshew beat uh, Herbert uh, in a ranked game on a day when game day was there in 2018. I mean, that was a very, very difficult um, road environment for them. And they pulled it off. And he showed me a lot in that game. I frankly didn't think they would lose another game after that. 
and they sort of gifted the, the Washington game. Uh, that one sort of still, in a, to me, a bit of an aberration, what happened to them in that game uh, late in the year. Um, maybe a, a, a fourth down and inches decision deep in a territory that I think um, uh, Lanning would like to have back. But frankly, uh, Bo did what I think this is a case study for why the transfer portal is good. You know, why? why it uh, can really work uh, magic for a lot of guys. He he mentally uh, left the state of Alabama and Auburn in particular in a mental dungeon. And he got out of it by getting as far away as he could, but in an environment that was truly college, truly a college environment in the Pac-12. I don't know of a better one than, than the one in Corvallis. And uh, he took control of that offense. Uh, Dillingham, of course, uh, was someone that he was very familiar with. Uh, them being sort of a package deal made it really, really work. And uh, you know, short of the short of the game with Georgia at the beginning, which was another one that you know they were outmanned in that game, and that was all brand new. I I really thought that um, he played extraordinarily well, and he was on my Heisman list up until the Washington loss. I, I, you know, he he was going to be probably in my top three. As it turned out, he wasn't uh, after that loss. But he was certainly, in my opinion, a top 10 to top five uh, quarterback all season long. So, like you, I'm happy for the kid. I think that it's just another example of sometimes uh, getting as far away from where you've been mentally uh, and, and to some extent physically, but mentally more than anything else. He needed to get out of there and it served him well. He's going to have a great pro future as a result. Tim, earlier my dad was uh, alluding to the fact that he feels that Ohio State could be a, a threat, and uh, he feels that Georgia uh, might – might he's not completely sold on them just yet. What are your thoughts on that? Do you feel Ohio State is a threat to Georgia and ultimately uh, could be uh, potential national champions? Yes. I think Ohio State is the worst possible team for Georgia to match up with. And I, I feel similarly about TCU with Michigan. I see upsets in both semifinal games. And uh, honestly, I think that a lot of things, a lot of fans and, and, and to some extent media uh, as well get caught up in um, uh, the imagery of the brand names. And, and uh, Georgia is clearly worthy of being the number one team right now. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to discount. Uh, their accomplishments. I mean, they are plentiful, but it is still a game of matchups. And when you've had almost a month off, and I think in this case it's what twenty-eight days, twenty-seven days, something like that. Uh, this is this is a a playoff game that has a a feel of professionalism to it because there's so much at stake for so many players that are going to play at the next level. That's why. The, the intensity factor with a playoff is so much greater than, than bowl games. Saw one of the kids today from Ohio State was asked the question about uh, how does this feel um, getting ready for a, 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 a playoff game versus going to the Rose Bowl. And I thought the kid was very candid. He said, well, when you go to the Rose Bowl, it's wonderful. Uh, it's, it's, it's clearly a reward for a great season. There's a lot of pageantry and it's, and it's fun, but in the end, it's just your final game of the season or maybe your final game of your career. 
this is something that there's a lot at stake, and you feel that. I mean, you feel the pressure of playing in it, that you don't have a bowl game feel at, at the college football playoff. You have a professional feel, okay, uh, for the players themselves. Okay, maybe not for the fans. Maybe it feels like a bowl for the fans, but for the players it feels like, man, uh, we're one step away from playing for a national championship. Ohio State has had 27, 28 days to get well. Mayan Williams is well. Um, uh, some of those receivers that have been banged up all year are, have, have improved. They've gotten better. Uh, and I think that Georgia's – I think it's going to be really, really a test for them. Now, remember, that secondary – Kirby's secondary is probably a strength. Uh what he needs to stay away from, what Ryan Day needs to stay away from, are some of these long uh, pro throws, you know, 20 yards across the field, you know, on sideline, you know, out routes. Uh, he needs to play seam routes, and he needs to go over the top against Georgia, and he needs to get the ground game going, which I think they have a very good chance of doing. There's not a team in college football that's got greater offensive weaponry than Ohio State. They just got out-executed, and their offensive line got beat up in the Michigan game. And all they've heard about, okay, in the days since, if you think it's rough with the expectations in Tuscaloosa and in Birmingham, it's every bit as tough, if not tougher, in Columbus. It's a bigger town. It is a pro mentality, the kind of pro mentality that, that, that you don't get in Alabama. Okay? It's a collegiate atmosphere in Columbus, it's almost like an extension of Cleveland and, and Cincinnati. And frankly, Columbus is even bigger than those those cities uh, with its far-reaching uh, area. So I think those kids are pissed, and they are ready to take it out on Georgia. I like Ohio State outright to beat Georgia and move to the national championship game. Tim, could you give us your breakdown of the other national national semifinal, TCU versus Michigan? Well, it's similar, really, to Michigan uh, to the the Ohio State story, in as much as Max Duggan is, I I believe, the best quarterback in the country this year. Should have won the Heisman Trophy, in my opinion. Uh, if they get the one yard, I think they he, he might have won uh, the Heisman Trophy if they had won the Big Twelve championship and been undefeated. They didn't get it. Kansas State won the game, and you know they they didn't lose their spot. But I think Duggan probably fell. You know it w- would have been close, but I think he probably fell from one to two in the Heisman as a result. Um, listen, McCarthy has been been money all season long in big game circumstances for Michigan, but I don't think Michigan has. I mean, Donovan Edwards has run it well, uh, so I don't think they miss Gorham necessarily. But I don't think their passing game has as many options. They don't have one receiver at Michigan, in my opinion, that's as good as Quentin Johnston. Quentin Johnston would have won the Bolitnikoff if he hadn't have been hurt for about four games this year. That kid is a freak. He is an absolute, unguardable wide receiver. Jared Wiley is a tight end that TCU's offense is used very similarly to the Georgia tight end that everyone knows so much about. Uh, and, and I think that because TCU lost that Big 12 title game, they have been salivating for the opportunity 
to, to get into this playoff and show that they can go up against a brand name and get the job done. I think most people believe that that Michigan should be able to handle TCU, and, and I just see some really noteworthy holes in, in Michigan's defense that Max Duggan can take advantage of. So I've got upsets in both games, Lars. I, I think people are going to be stunned, and it will be TCU and Ohio State in the championship. Tim, what are your thoughts on two potential top five picks and Will Anderson Jr. and Bryce Young playing in the Sugar Bowl for Alabama? Well, I think it sounds nice. I think it's uh, commendable, and I honor those guys for doing this. But I don't know. I think this notion that they're playing in the game is somehow uh, going to motivate everybody else at Alabama to to play maybe their best game ever and railroad Kansas State. I don't see that. Uh, I I think it I think it is a commendable individual admirable move uh, by both guys. I can see why Alabama fans are excited about it. Why Nick is happy about it. Um, I think the, bit, the thing that Alabama fans are overlooking here is both of those coordinators at the end of this game are gone. They are gone. Okay? They're, and so how, how much of their time, uh, how much of Bill O'Brien and, and Pete Golding's time have been on this game? Uh, I think that's the issue for Alabama going into the matchup with Kansas State. Whereas I think the Wildcats are just excited at the opportunity of getting to play big, bad Alabama. To me, this is the most uh, fun game outside the playoff to watch because one program never gets attention. The other program lives in a fishbowl and is microscoped more than any other team in America. Uh, And yet I think that uh, the mindset of Chris Kleiman's club with a guy like Colin Klein as his offensive coordinator, 10 years removed from being a Heisman Trophy finalist himself at quarterback, this is a proving ground game for K-State. Uh, they feel like they've got nothing to lose. And, and, and I think in Alabama's case, psychologically, <laughs> it, it really, this is a great test for safety. You know, no one understands the psyche of the modern-day Internet athlete more than Nick Saban. That's why he's the greatest coach uh, you know, to have ever lived. However, I think that the mental deck is stacked against Alabama big time in this game. Uh, and part of that is because the fan base has already determined that if they lose, well, it wasn't the playoff, so it's no big deal. Very similar to the situation with Utah a few years ago. Um, the fact that Bryce Young and Will Anderson are playing, getting so much attention in a way, is I think Alabama's way of trying to offset the mental disadvantage that they have going into this game with K-State. Tim, I would love to uh, explore the subject of Alabama's coordinators with you uh, on the other side. Can you stick around for another break? Or, excuse me, another, yeah. another, <laughs> yeah, for a few <laughs> more minutes? Okay, we'll be right back yeah. after the break. This is Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Wesley Financial Group is not a law firm. This story is called The Ugly Truth About Timeshare. If you think you've done your family a favor by buying a timeshare, you need my help. Hello, I'm...
Tim, before we talk about uh, the future of Alabama's offensive coordinators, I wanted to ask you about Tua. Dolphins, Miami Dolphins coach Mike McDaniel confirmed today that Tua did, in fact, suffer a concussion uh, against the Packers. And uh, it's a, it, at least the second documented con- concussion this year, maybe the third. Um, what are your thoughts on Tua and his football future? You know, listen, for the players, when it comes to that kind of thing, never having experienced a concussion myself, but witnessing players that have as a broadcaster and seeing how their balance is affected and and what can happen. And when I hear modern-day players or guys just removed from the game recommending that Tua step away from the sport entirely, I give it some value. I, I, I do. Because some guys are more prone uh, to to being concussed than others. Uh, that That's just an absolute fact. Um, and there were a couple of throws, if you watch that game closely, and it happened that through the holiday period, that was one of the games that I watched uh, pretty closely. And there were some throws that he made. Uh, there were a lot of turnovers in the game, as you probably know, and, and there were a couple of throws that were almost inexplicable uh, to a Tagovailoa throws, like he was throwing almost into triple coverage at a time or two. So I don't think he was right for a lot of that game after he had been concussed. And and again, you mentioned there's two on record that we know about, and of course we, if you go back and remember the first time, uh, he 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 likely stayed in the game too long then too. So uh, I you know I I think there's a lot of of credence that we should give to uh, those players that have suggested that uh, in his particular case in the offseason, he needs to take a long look at whether he wants or should uh, play football competitively again. And uh, going back to the previous segment, you mentioned that you believe that both uh, Pete Golding, the defensive coordinator at Alabama, and uh, uh, Bill O'Brien, the offensive coordinator, will be gone after the Sugar Bowl. Just uh, uh, following up on that, uh, why do you believe that, and and who do you think will take their place? Well, you know, I'm not going to give up my sources, but and I have no idea who Nick Nick may hire. But uh, listen, Lars, uh, assistant coaches have agents too, okay? And those agents uh, talk to people, and they talk to people that are uh, either in the National Football League or, or perhaps are, are being um, uh, maybe looked at by other major colleges. I think in both cases, we're talking about guys that have options in both areas. Uh, O'Brien probably more easily uh, moved than Golding, but I think that in the end, both will be gone. Now, that's, again, just based on information that I've received from people in the business that I talk to on a regular basis. And... Um, I, I don't know that that would be a shocking revelation to a lot of Alabama fans. Uh, I think that word, word on the street then that not only would the uh, the likelihood of Nick being uh, in need to make a change, but hopefully help him help these guys make changes. And certainly he has the wherewithal uh, to help make that happen. Uh, we're talking about one of the most powerful 
men in the in football, be it college or pro. So uh, there are some adjustments that have to be made. Uh, everybody I know is excited about the uh, the, the high level signing day performance of Alabama, and they should be. Uh, but in order to pull some of that off, clearly there had to be some conversation about what direction that the uh, program was going to be going in. And all this amid conversations, as I said, with football people that I know that are uh, well aware of who represents uh, these coaches and, and, and they're looking to get out. So uh, that's why I brought it up, because when you look at the mindset of a football team in preparation for a bowl game, and again, you have a long layoff. Lots of times coaches accept jobs, and they're in the midst of moving to that next job while they're also coordinating their uh, offense or defense. That's happened before. But when you don't know where you're headed, but you know your head's on a swivel and you're looking at all of those options while you're trying to prepare for a bowl game, I I believe that becomes problematic. And it's one of the reasons I think Alabama – Regardless of uh, whether those two outstanding players on both sides of the ball play, I worry. I, I'm I'm curious as to how the mindset of that team will be in terms of its preparation with both coordinators, um, you know, on on grapevines, on conversations with other people to coach elsewhere. And I believe they are. Tim, I wanted to switch gears to basketball really quick. Um, Alabama opens up with Mississippi State today, um, starting their SEC play. Um, any favorites to win the SEC title? Well, you got to put Alabama up there. I think Arkansas is another team I wouldn't uh, sleep on. I, I love the athleticism of that team. Nate Oates has done a great job preparing his team to, you know, compete to win the league and to make a run at the Final Four. I think uh, any team that's in the top twenty right now that you look at, it can conceivably believe that they have a chance of getting to Houston to get to the Final Four. I think Alabama's one of those teams. I think there's probably 10 to 15 teams of that group, of that, that's 20, 20, 25, 30 teams that could make the Final Four. And, and, and of that group, 10 to 15 could, could win it all. Okay. Uh, the, the, the space between uh, Purdue and Connecticut, who are at the top of the, of the college basketball world right now, is, is not that great. I mean, there are no dominant teams. But there are a ton of really, really good teams, and, and Alabama is one of them. Mississippi, Mississippi State just fell out of the top 25 after losing the game to Drake. Lost again. This is a, a, a good team, not a great team. I think Alabama can be a great team, uh, and there are several others in the league. Now Tennessee is right there, probably the best defensive team. Uh, I think you're going to be surprised to see some other clubs uh, in the league make. Uh, tremendous jumps. I don't think LSU is going to skip much of a beat. They're going to be very competitive in the West. Uh, you know, Pearl's team at Auburn has has not lit it up the way they did a year ago, but I still think they're in, in really good shape. Uh, Kentucky may be the team that's scratching and clawing, you know, to be the, the, the Kentucky that their fans want them to be because everybody else in the league has gotten better. And other than Oscar Shibway, he's not getting a lot of help right now from his teammates in Lexington. It's going to be a whale of a year. I think the SEC is uh, is as deep and as, as good a league as you'll find in the country. All right, Tim. This is the most hard-hitting question of the interview. 
How was Christmas at Shea Brando uh, with the grandchildren? Uh, do you guys have a, uh, a, a go-to meal? And what was oh, yeah. the best gift that you received? It was Italian lasagna, uh, like out the wazoo uh, on Christmas Eve. I mean, so good. And, uh, and then it was uh, turkey with all the trimmings on Christmas Day. Extended Italian family. I married into a uh, Glo- the Glorioso family, so my wife's um, heritage is in uh, is in Sicily. So uh, her her brother came down, his wife, to go along with the extended family. His his son, so Terry's nephew, uh, came in from uh, from New Mexico, and he brought uh, um, a young lady with him. And then so add that to our four grandchildren. And our two sons-in-law, we had about, um, and, and some cousins that came through. We had about 20 in here, 20 at the Chateau on uh, on Christmas night. So we had uh, quite a lot of fun, a lot of spirits, a lot of moves outside to the, uh, to the pool and the hot tub in the cold, cold weather. We lost water in Shreveport, okay? So we had to boil some water while, <laughs> while we were here, and... Uh, Let's just say I used the hot tub and some um, and some other accoutrements in the hot tub to wash my hair uh, to be to be cleaned and ready to go for Christmas morning pictures. <laughs> <laughs> we got a little water shortage in Shreveport uh, for the holiday season. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you're not stuck in some uh, outpost like Albuquerque, New Mexico, on a Southwest flight right now, oh, and that uh, you're with uh, your family. Well, I barely, yeah. you know, I beat the class by just a little, if you recall. I talked to you right after I got in. I was, I was so happy to have beaten. And, and given what we saw around the rest of the country, my heart goes out to so many people because it was, it was a survival holiday weekend, to be sure. Tim, uh, another riveting interview. Thank you so much. Uh, Happy New Year. Uh, Look forward to talking to you next week. Again, thank you so much. Thanks, Tim. You got it, Lars. You got to take care. All right, we'll be right back to finish out Big Noon Sports. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Serving part-time in the Army National Guard has led to a lot of firsts for me. It paid for me to be the first person in my family to go to school. That education got me to the first day at my dream job, which I can still hold while I serve part-time. That job and the home loan benefits I got from the Army National Guard helped me buy my first house. I also know that I will be one of the first to respond if my community ever needs me. Sponsored by the Alabama Army National Guard. Aired by the Alabama Broadcasters Association and this station. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Susan, I'm sorry I'm late. Traffic is terrible. It sure is. But on top of that, gas prices have been skyrocketing. I can't believe how expensive gas... Protect yourself if you are at risk of getting hepatitis A. One dose of the hepatitis A vaccine provides long-lasting protection in up to 95% of those who receive it. For more information on the hepatitis A outbreak in our state, visit alabamapublichealth.gov forward slash IMM. Sponsored by the Alabama Department of Public Health, the ABA, and this station. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. I'm meteorologist Bill Murray on Tide 100.9. It's 63 degrees in Tuscaloosa.
My pappy said, son, you're gonna drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. story of the hot rod race with the Fords and Lincolns was setting the pace. That story is true, I'm here to say, I was driving that Model A. It's got a Lincoln motor and it's really souped up. Some breaking Model news coming out of Las Vegas. The Raiders are benching Derek Carr and turning to former Auburn quarterback Jarrett Stidham to be their starter for the last two games of the season. And the Raiders aren't just benching Derek Carr. They are making him inactive, uh, most likely for uh, not just the game this week, but also for the final game of the season. And uh, this uh, presumably spells the end of the Derek Carr era uh, for the Raiders. And uh, he is due $33 million next season. That's fully guaranteed even if he's injured. And I, I, I think that there are uh, some ways to get around this contract. And uh, they just decided that, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it's pretty amazing, Christian. The Raiders are still mathematically alive for the postseason. And I get that their record's 6-9. and nine, uh, And it's, it's a big-time long shot. But uh, this is a pretty pretty uh bold move by head coach josh mcdaniels uh that uh he is basically saying Derek carr we are done with you are you surprised by this uh yeah i am kind of surprised um i know teams do like to do this sometimes when you know their, their playoff hopes are are done and and you know they'd like to see what type of young talent they have and what type of potential some of the younger players um, have and what kind, of, what kind of value that they might add to the organization moving forward. So you, you do see that. I do feel like it's, you know, um, I, I guess I would say early only because, you know, like you mentioned, technically, I guess if they still can make the playoffs, I feel like this is an early move. But I think the riding is on the wall and, uh, you know, they're obviously looking to, to move in a new direction going forward uh, but they still have you know some solid players and in, in Josh Jacobs you know Hunter Renfro uh, former Clemson wide receiver um, you know I will mention with Josh Jacobs they they turned down his fifth year option so now he will be a free agent following this season um, which gives him the that opportunity big, don't you think that was a big mistake big time I mistake. Mean, given the fact that Josh Jacobs has had a huge year yeah uh, if I'm not mistaken I think he is first in rushing yards in the NFL this season um, second in attempts. I mean, he's a workhorse for those guys, and uh, I think ultimately, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. But they're going to look back and think that's a huge mistake. Uh, maybe his um, uh, his loyalty is still to to Las Vegas and that organ organization. However, he will have the opportunity to choose um, if uh, if another team elsewhere offers him a bigger contract or or geographically he feels is a better location for him. He has that that choice. So. Um, you know, that that's going to be another problem right there, trying to hold on to a guy like that. But um, it, it is interesting to see them do this, but it's it's not uncommon. Um, this does happen, you know, that teams like to see what they have in store and what they have in the program and in, in the organization to see maybe if they have anybody worth keeping around. But it seems like they're trying to uh, start on a new slate, clean slate. Well, I, I mean, another issue that they have to deal with is, 
in the offseason, they traded with the Packers for all-pro wide receiver Devontae Adams. Mm -hmm. And not only is Adams a great player, and did they give up a lot to get him, but he played he played college ball with Carr, and uh, and and they are really close friends, and Carr is a respected leader in the locker room. So moving on from him, gosh, you would think it, it it's 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 really it's really not going to go over well. I would think with the other players because uh, it, it's as if the organization is saying, hey, uh, you know, this season's over, even though there's two games left. Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where you feel like, you know, the ownership is just sort of throwing in the towel. But it, that's what it seems like what's going on here. Yeah, well, you know, my rookie year at Carolina, actually, you know, they fired Ron Rivera um, in midway through the season. And we had an interim head coach. And it, it, it kind of had that that aura to it, that, that sense that, um, you know, they were just trying to just, you know, put people in to see – you know, what they had on the roster, who they might want to keep around um, next year, kind of just implementing new things just to try different things to maybe create a spark and see what they could come up with. But, you know, again, it's part of the league. You know, ultimately the NFL is a business. And uh, I know um, they're loyal to Derek Carr to a sense, and then they really appreciate all his efforts and all his contributions to that organization. But sometimes uh, you just have to look in a new direction and, and, and look elsewhere, and it seems like that's what they're doing. Yeah, and uh, our producer Josh Smith just uh, told me that the Raiders can cut him before February 15th for a dead money cap charge of just $5.6 million, uh, and that is relatively cheap, uh, a way to get out of uh, his massive deal. But I don't know. I, I-, I thought Derek Carr was really going to be uh, the long-term answer for the Raiders, but uh, uh, apparently not. But... Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Uh, the quarterback carousel will be really interesting in the NFL to monitor this offseason. And um, who knows? I mean, uh, it could be a fit for, I don't know, could the Raiders trade up and go for a certain Alabama quarterback? All right, we'll see you all tomorrow, 22 hours. My brother-in-law died suddenly. And now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. 